This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by a legendary and award-winning actress, singer, dancer, composer, and cabaret performer, par excellence. And of course, I'm speaking about the one and only Louise Pitre. I have wanted to do this interview for a very long time, and I'm so honored to be doing it now. But before we meet her, let me tell you a little bit more about the Grand Dame of musical theatre in Canada and the U.S., the incredible Louise Pitre. So Louise received a Tony nomination for her Broadway debut in the smash hit Mamma Mia, which really was a highlight for Canada's first lady of musical theatre in a career that spans all of it, theatre, television, and concert stages all across North America and Europe. In addition to headlining the Toronto Broadway and U.S. touring company cast of Mamma Mia, Louise, of course, is known, and this is how I first came to know her, for her signature performance as Fontaine in Les Miserables. I'll never forget it, in which she performed in Toronto, Montreal, and Paris. Of course, she was the title character in Edith Piaf. She was Mama Rose in Gypsy, the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Gary Griffin directing, Joanne and Company, which we'll get to later pivotal performance. Again, with director Gary Giffen. Can't wait to talk about it. Louise also earned raves for leading roles in Annie Get Your Gun, Song and Dance, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris, The World Goes Round, Blood Brothers, one of her earliest shows, Tartuffe, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd, Applause, The Toxic Avenger, A Year with Frog and Toad, and I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. In 2014, she premiered in the New Aislo Rep Theatre production of Luck Be a Lady, created and directed by Gordon Greenberg. For her role as Edith Piaf in the North American premiere of The Angel and the Sparrow, Louise received a meta nomination for Outstanding Lead Performance by an Actress. The show's director, Gordon Greenberg, stated, Louise is probably the foremost interpreter of Edith Piaf in the world. In 2019, The Angel and the Sparrow was brought to Toronto by Mervish Productions and retitled Piaf Dietrich, a legendary affair at which Time Louise reprised her role as Piaf to enthusiastic reviews. One by me too, which we'll get to. In the 2019 musical stage company production of Next to Normal in Toronto, Louise broke through gender boundaries by playing the role of Dr. Madden, Dr. Fine, previously portrayed as male. In September 2009, Louise premiered her self-penned one-woman show On the Rocks at Theatre Pass Mariah in Toronto with original songs by Louise Peace and W.J. Matheson. During the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic restrictions, Louise sought an opportunity to share her intimate show virtually in May 2021 through Stream Stage Productions. She has guested with orchestras all across Canada and the U.S., Louise appears in concerts regularly throughout North America with accompaniment ranging from big band to solo piano. Her small screen appearances include Lifetime's A Christmas Wedding, Recipe for a Perfect Christmas, Merry Matrimony, MVP, Flashpoint, and the CBC biopic Celine, in which she played Celine Dion's mother, Therese. Louise was the host of Star Portraits on Bravo for two seasons, and I'll never forget when she was chosen to be one of the three judges for Andrew Lloyd Webber's CBC series, Over the Rainbow. Love that, actually. Louise is the winner of a National Broadway Touring Award, a New York Theatre World Award, a San Francisco Theatre Critics Award, a Betty Mitchell Award, and four, count that, four Dora Maver Moore Awards, all for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. Since earning her Honours BA in Music Education Piano from the University of Western, Louise has become the proud recipient of honorary degrees from the Royal Conservatory of Music and Humber College, along with a Doctorate of Music from the University of Western Ontario. She has released five solo CDs, all of which are available on her website, and we'll tell you more about how you can get those at the end of the show. 
Louise also holds the position of honorary co-chair with the Helene Tremblay-Lavoie Foundation created to help address a critical lack of long-term care for Francophones in the greater Toronto area. Louise Pietre, longest bio in the history of the theatre. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much. Yes, it was very long. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, wait for the first question is long too, but I have to say, I first saw you, of course, in your defining role of Fantine in the Canadian premiere of Les Miserables. I remember it vividly. I was covering it actually on television. And we're going to get to all of that and more. But the time I really connected with you personally was when you played Edith Piaf in the production Piaf Dietrich. I was so transformed, Louise, by that performance, by you in that role, that I wrote this to you. And here is part of what I wrote. There are no words for how brilliant and stunning your performance was, Louise. I just left the show and was blown away and mesmerized by your raw and magnificent portrayal of Edith Piaf. Your voice was gorgeous, beyond compare. In every role you play, you take on a character and make it so believable and make it come so alive in your own unique and inimitable way. You are in a class of your own. And this is the kind of theater experience that every theater student should witness to know what is possible and what lofty heights they can strive for. Bravo to you, Dietrich. Keeps everything cool while Piaf is always on fire. As Piaf once said, singing is a way of escaping. It's another world. I'm no longer on earth. Your acting and singing in this glorious production elevates everyone to another place, somewhere heavenly even if it's just for a short while. Your performance was exquisite. Thank you for a night of theater we will never forget. And you wrote me back, okay, this could be the most phenomenal message I have ever received. Thank you so much. You have made my day slash week slash month slash run of the show. Merci mille fois. You're very welcome, Louise. And (laughs) thank you for being here. What was it like for you singing that material and diving into that role, a role you have really made world famous. Do you remember how you prepared for the role of Edith Piaf? I've done Piaf shows before, but this one was, it's such a neat take, such a neat story, a neat angle, you know, to talk about Piaf that I loved so much. And Gordon Greenberg was so wonderful at staging it and making it come to life. It was, you know, I've liked Piaf forever. My mother turned me on to Piaf when I was a kid. I mean, my mother loved Piaf songs. and But coming to it all these years later and having the chance to do it this time in that production, it was, I was proud to be in that show, which, you know, is not always the case. Not every show is so great that you think it's, Mm-hmm. But it was, I was proud of that show. And I, I don't know, I have a thing for Piaf. It's like I dig deep down in some weird place that doesn't exist for any other character. I will tell you this. There were many times during the run of that show where I'd be standing there. It was such a huge role, mm-hmm. so demanding physically and vocally. Mm-hmm. But I'd be standing there, which is, you know, the second last scene in the show when I sing Non, je ne regrette rien in my hospital gown. And I'd be standing there belting out (laughs) this huge note. And while I was singing it, I'd be thinking, where the hell is this coming from? I could not believe it was still coming out of my mouth. I'd be so tired. It was show number eight of the week. And I could not believe it was still... It was as though, I don't know, there are certain things that are just so in you (laughs) that somehow magically it just keeps coming without hurting you. (laughs) That's what that show was to me. It was a gift, that one. I am exceedingly proud of that one because I felt like I was at a place in my life (laughs) and in my actress life where I could really sort of do it justice and give it everything it should have. And it made me happy. There's moments in the theater where you just go, it doesn't get any better. And fleeting images from that show will remain with me forever. So that's 
so neat. And of course, I was not alone. There's many, many that felt the same way. Do you remember that moment? And even though I know Blood Brothers had already happened, but it was early on in your career when you got the part of Fantine in the Canadian premiere of Les Miserables. It was, it was a pretty head experience. I remember covering it on opening night down at the Royal Alexander Theatre. And there was a, it changed the face of Toronto. It changed the face of theatre. It put us alongside, you know, London's West End and New York. Like suddenly we were happening. Did you know at the time that it was going to be such a pivotal turning point in your career? Funny you should ask me that. Maybe not in my career, but in my personal life. Yes. Yes. Because that, I knew it was a big show. It was the first big show. Yes. I was going to be in and it was the first really big show in Toronto. Yes. You know, it was a, it was a big deal. And that was the first time my parents, it's the one and only time my parents were at an opening night mm. and I had gotten them the tickets. Mm. So they were sitting very close to the front. And when I came out, oh my God, <laughs> when I came out to take my bow, I just, I bowed right to them, just to them. And the whole, you know, the whole audience was cheering. But I bowed to them and they were standing up with everybody. And my mother was, I could see her saying, bravo, bravo. You have no idea what that meant to me. I cannot even describe. It was as if right now, now. I could say to my parents, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay that I do this for a living. Yes. I think I can do this for yes. a living. And they were saying, yes. <laughs> I will never, ever forget that moment. Wow. That is, that's humongous. And they came to the opening night party, the huge thing at Fort York. <laughs> and they met, you know, Alain Boublil and <laughs> Sonberg and my mother was talking away to them in front. <laughs> just the best. It was like the stamp yes. of approval, yes. the stamp of, yes. okay, you can do this for a living. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't. I so get this on, on so many levels. It, <laughs> oh, it's it incredible. Was that was a big night. <laughs> I, I even remember, Louise, the original, like the first rehearsal and some of the press were invited and I was invited to that first rehearsal. And I, I, I remember Michael Burgess had a little pin, the little moon. And I said, I said, what's it like performing in this? And he said, you see this? I feel over the moon. But this was big, big, heady stuff. And yeah. you were at the forefront of it all. And you were brilliant in that role. You just I set the role. standard very high. What was it like to play Fontaine in this production and in English? And then was it a different experience for you playing it in French? Oh, yes, it was. I mean, I love playing that role, although I have to admit it was an interesting role because you play Fontaine at the beginning and then you die as Fontaine and you go through this horrible experience of having to become a prostitute and sell your hair and sell your teeth yes. to save your child. It was really hard to be, you know, on the floor being attacked by this awful man. Like it yes. was really tough, yes. but then you die and it's, you know, one third of the way through act <laughs> one. And then you run up to your dressing room and then you change into pants and a jacket and a cap. Yep. Hide your hair, put dirt on yes. your face, and now you're a boy. And you're on the barricade. That's right. Yeah, man. And then you're with the whole ensemble. <laughs> yes. You sing, do you hear the people <laughs> sing? And then, to one. then you do the whole barricade scene. And then you die again yes. as a boy oh. on the barricade with everybody else. But then you go and you change into Back the into Fontaine for the curtain you call. Back for that beautiful last scene. Wow. It was a trip. It was a thrill. That, that last number we all sang together is still perhaps one of my most stirring, moving wow. ensemble things ever on a stage. But then they asked me to do it in Montreal. Holy, holy, holy wow. was, I grew up in Montreal. My whole childhood spent in Montreal. Yes. And so I've not lived in French, you know, for many years. And I go to Montreal. Oh, and there, same cast, 
We learn the whole thing in French. We learn the whole thing in English. And we do five shows a week in French, three a no week. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, man. Oh. We went back and forth, back and forth. Wow. It was an amazing experience. It, culturally, it became a big joke with the cast because I would cry so often because we would have, like, say, at the end of our rehearsal day, everybody had brought in baguettes and pate and <laughs> cheese and wine and we'd have a party oh. and I'd be crying because I felt like I was with my relatives again, like my people, you know what I yes. mean? Yes. And they would also, oh, Louise is having a cultural experience <laughs> again. Look at her. She's crying again. But it was, it was truly. It was vraiment. And it was, I have to tell you this story. One of the shows, like you do eight shows a week, you know, and after a few months, you're tired, but you're also relaxing because you know the show. You know what you've been doing in a long time. Yes. But on Sundays, we had two shows. And the first show was in English, the matinee, and the evening show was in French. And in the big barricade scene where everybody falls asleep and Enjolras, the student leader on top, has this beautiful solo, mm. very quiet while we're all sleeping. And off he goes in the wrong language. It's a French show. And all of a sudden, after this instrumental section, she starts singing it again. And all of us sleeping on the barricade, I swear to you, there was a little bit of a jolt on the barricade because I swear everybody went, Oh my God. So he sang this whole little solo thing in English. Oh God. And then the next person to sing brought it back to French back to and then we finished and he wanted to die, of course. And it never happened again yes. because they then put huge signs on either side of the conductor in the pit, which we could see that said Francais, Francais, English, English. English. So they would put those for every show just to make sure, sure. that we're <laughs> That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Yeah. But an interesting experience because to go from English to French, very different. In French, we have all the diphthongs like a, en, on, e. Mm -hmm. It doesn't project as well as English is much more open. A, I, O, U, E. Right. So it's a very, it's different singing yes. in French and yes. English. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Excellent. Oh, my goodness. So what, oh, by the way, I'm a Montrealer. So I, I relate to, oh. the, to this in so many ways. And what I love, Louise, is something else wonderful happened after Les Mis. You bought yourself, as a gift to yourself, a piano. And mm. what a magnificent full circle moment when you were able to donate that piano to PAL, a unique social housing project in Toronto. I know, I just discussed it with Deanie Petty recently. For artists, musicians, and actors to retire and live in dignity. And you said that one day, if you're ever there, how lovely it will be to play that piano again. Do you remember that day when you played the piano at that event? And how would you describe that experience, giving them oh. something that you were able to purchase because of your success as an actor and as a musical theater performer? Yeah, it was. And I have to right away just underline Mr. Rob Lowry. Yes. Rob Lowry, who passed away. Yes. Since, but. He was instrumental in organizing that. And, you know, we sold the farmhouse and we bought a condo in Toronto. And I, I thought, I can't have a seven foot grand piano in this place. And we live on Market Street, which is around the corner from Pal. Wow. And so in talking with Rob Lowry and whatever, it all came together that this was, or I thought it was such a, a good thing to do. You know, you always think of giving to younger people who are coming up in our business. Yes. I like to do that too, but the people who have left it, who are on their way out, yes. they are important too. And they needed something. They had the most wonderful event. Oh my God, my husband and I went to that event. I felt like, ah, oh, it just made me so happy. So many of them performed and, oh God, it was so great. So <sighs> made me so happy to see, yes, it's going to be used. It is being used by people in this wonderful space that they have. I mean, yeah. 
It's great stuff. You've had a long relationship with the piano since you were seven years old. And I find that so wonderful because you are unbelievably talented singer and musical theater performer and a dancer. But the fact that you also had piano, was it a chore to practice or was it something that you really took to and loved? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Louise Pizzo when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Hi, we're back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio. And I was just asking you, Louise, was it a chore for you to practice the piano or was it something you loved to do? Okay, here's another neat story. My mother grew up in Abitibi, northern Quebec, very poor, (laughs) one of... 10 children, they didn't have any money. They could not afford a piano, but she dreamed of playing the piano. Her mother had a sewing machine, you know, the old clackety clack thing with the pedal on the bottom and it sat by a window. And one day the window was left open and it rained. And so the wooden top of their sewing machine got wet and cracked. And she would sit at that sewing machine and pretend that she was playing piano on the cracked pieces. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh, my God. I've got a million stories that make me cry. It's crazy. But one day when I was seven years old in Montreal, my mother just said, would you like to learn to play the piano? And I said, "Okay, that's it. And I went to Madame Levac <laughs> in our neighborhood. And she was a teacher and they bought this old upright grant that we kept in the basement. And my mother would have to say, Louise, <laughs> come up for dinner. Stop practicing. Really? It's time for dinner. <sighs> yes. From the beginning, that's how it you was. You loved I it. loved it. Oh, isn't yes. that wonderful? <laughs> isn't that wonderful? Yeah. You sang with your sister, you sang harmonies, and you even had a dream at eight years old that you were on stage in a long gown, singing for an audience that was applauding for you like crazy. That dream's come true for you many times, of course, as Fontaine, as Donna, as in Mamma Mia and many, many other shows. But you actually did get to wear a gown in applause at the oh Leia Poslin's Theater. This oh, was yeah. even before Blood Brothers and way before the Canadian premiere of Les Mis when you started Fontaine and really became a star in the country. But what are your memories of that evening in the gown that you had dreamed about since you were eight years old and having your family come to one of the shows watching oh, you yeah. as a young girl? I mean, my God. Do you know, okay, you've read up on me, obviously. You've got all the stories. Yes. When I was eight years old, I got up and I was excited to tell my family about the dream I had about me standing on a stage wearing a beautiful gown and everybody was standing up and they were all screaming, bravo, bravo. (laughs) Anyway, they all thought, oh, you know, the dramatic Louise, you know, it became a joke in our family. I have to admit to you that it became a shorthand joke Mm -hmm. eventually Mm -hmm. over all the years I was living at home, I'd say something big and they'd say, oh, you. And that <laughs> referred back to the dream, bravo, bravo, you yeah. know. And when I did applause, my mother, only my mother came to see the show that day. And my curtain call was amazing. He had the flats down 
and flew up the flats. And there I was in a new shiny silver gown to take my bow. And after that show, they brought my mother to my dressing room and she knocked on the door. I opened the door and she said, Mon Dieu, Louise, bravo. And she wasn't joking. It was... It was, no, she wasn't, she wasn't jo- joking anymore. No. Oh, what a lovely story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. <laughs> you went on to Western and I found it interesting to hear that you were studying to become a high school music teacher and you were yeah. had no intent, even though it's interesting, you had this relationship with the piano, you had that wonderful experience wearing the gown, you always love to sing harmonies with your sister. Mm. And yet, no, you were going to become a high school music teacher until fourth year when you auditioned for a review called Flicks, which was a spoof on old movies. Yeah. And something happened. You went to that audition and you got it. So this was really your first time really doing this, right? I actually accompanied a friend who auditioned for Flicks. Wow. And Don Flexer, the director who I've adored all my life, he, at the end of that audition, said to me, what about you? You seem to have a lot of cotton. <laughs> Would you like to audition? And they had me right there, just sit on the uh, edge of the stage and had me sing, falling in love again. Yeah. How bizarre. And that's how I got that role. My first ever. And yes, it turned my life around. Yes. I thought. Are you kidding me? I could do this? Oh, if you could go back to that night, the first time you performed that show, standing on a stage, not just in your living room with your sister and with the piano, but right there on a stage with an audience. What do you love about performing? Oh my God. I think it is a heightened form of communication. Mm -hmm. You can talk to somebody and look them right in the eye. But when you are telling a story, whether it's a play or a musical, a musical, if it's good, if it's meaningful, if you cannot wait to sing that song to, it's that thing. It's, (laughs) you can touch people in a more heightened way <laughs> but only if it's all done well yes and yes and truly and truthfully sometimes it's not and it can't all be great i've been in many things that i don't think are great but when it is it's magic you have literally i think the chance to when your voice feels good and the song is amazing and the show is fantastic <laughs> and you're at that moment and you know it's working i swear to you i swear if i put my arms out i could fly and i think the very few times in my career where i have felt that it's made all the worth it because i don't know how many people maybe have the chance to feel that that i swear to God, I could fly. That's an amazing thing. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. And that's good enough for me. It's your calling. My God, it is so your, it's not just your career. There's something very ethereal and career. It's, it's work. You know, it's work. It's freaking hard work. And I think people don't think of it as work. It's work because they are out for an evening out and they go to dinner. They have some wine. (laughs) They come and they watch me do Mamma Mia and they go, Oh my God. It must be so great to have such a good time and to love doing what you do. I have no idea. Oh God. And you want to say, are you kidding me? I feel like today. I have a cold. My voice hurts. I have two shows tomorrow. It's all that. But my job is to make you feel that. And so if you feel that way, then I've done my job. But it's work. Of course. (laughs) Of course it is. But you make it not look like work. And that's... Okay, well, good. (laughs) You brought up major pivotal role in your career, of course. Let's talk about Mamma Mia. And I love the story about how you showed up after three callbacks. It's true. People don't realize it's not easy. It's so hard. And there's oh, that was 
natural. And three callbacks. You walk into your final one thinking this might be it. Next session, callback four. And you see an entire waiting room of actresses and you think, oh no, I still didn't get it. But you walk in and they say, congrats, Louise, you got the part. And the reason all those actresses are there is they're there to audition to be your sidekicks in Mamma Mia. Yes. What was that day like when you walked in and they said after three, because people don't realize the audition itself is hard enough, but call back, call back, call back. You're just dying. It's like, I know. I thought, how many times do I have to sing? The winner takes it all. I mean, hell, I've done it, you know, (laughs) twice, three times already. And that never happens. Nobody ever tells you, you got the job. Like the whole panel that 10 or 12 of them are sitting there, Benny, Bjorn, Judy Kramer, all those people. Nobody ever tells you that live. You know, you hear from your agent. That was, they asked me to come in and they say, sit down. So I sit in front of all of them and they say, well, we would like to tell you that we would like you to be our daughter. And you know what I did? I jumped out of my chair and I hopped around the room going, <laughs> and then I stepped back down on my chair and I said, well, okay, we'll talk. <laughs> and then they all laughed. And I could not believe it. And then they explained, these women are, we want you to read with these women to see who it works with the you. two friends are going to be. I mean, come on, that never happened. Oh. It was amazing. Oh, you got to tell your agent. Guess what just happened? <laughs> that's so Incredible. that's so great. And now you're in New York and you're at the Tony Awards and you're nominated. I mean, this has got to be one of the pinnacles in your career for a best actress Tony for Mamma Mia. And you're in that audience with, I don't know, Patty Lupone and all your peers. What are your memories of that night? Do you know what? To be perfectly honest with you, by the time we got to that night. I was so tired, yes, so exhausted. Yes. I just wanted to get the hell to the party and have a drink and then go to bed. Yes, yes. I swear. Because yeah. it's insane. All the stuff that leads up to the Tonys, you have no idea how many events and things I had to go yes. to. and Plus eight shows a week. Yes, it really was an incredible time. And, you know, because we opened right after 9-11 and the love from the people at the stage door all the time after every show, it really was an incredible time. Yeah, it really was. I want to share a few words about what the great Richard Azunian had to say about you as Donna in his review of Mamma Mia for the Toronto Star. She stepped out on the stage and gave a knockout 90-minute demonstration of what star power is all about. She sang number after number in that take-no-prisoner style she's made famous. Each song she performs is a three-act play filled to the brim with passion and emotion, but somehow magically never tipping over the edge into bathos or sentimentality. That's the true test of Petra's artistry. A lot of singers know how to go for it. Petra also knows when to stop. It was the heartbreak that went out every time, especially when she switched to French. Edith Piaf's Non Je Ne Regrette Rien had the tang of true defiance, and Pete's own French lyrics to The Winner Takes It All conveyed a wounded nobility that conquered us all. Nobody says it like Richard Asunian, but wow. You have played so many iconic roles, Louise, that have conquered us all, as the song says, and one of them was to play one of the most spectacular roles that a musical theater actress can ever play. And of course, I'm speaking about Mama Rose and Gypsy. And you were preparing for the role of Mama Rose at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And in a behind the scenes of the first rehearsal, you said, if I'm going to do it, it's going to kill me. And I know it because it's that huge a role. What was it like preparing for that role and making it your own? Because you killed it, of course. Before we hear Louise's answer, we're going to go on a short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. 
In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. And I was just asking you, Louise, about how you prepared for the role of Mama Rose. How did you make that your own? I don't know. I mean, you don't think of making it your own. I don't think about whatever someone else has done before you try. I've never done that role. I've always wanted to. And I think Gary Griffin is a director I admire very much. And Chicago Shakespeare Theater is a phenomenal space and theater organization. So I just said, yes, I will do it. And then I thought, oh, (laughs) what have I just signed up for? No, hey, I learned that script on the Stairmaster and the treadmill. <laughs> That's what they get on the and learn one or two scenes a day. And my husband would run the stuff with me. I was prepared when I got there. <gasps> oh, my. But Gary Griffin's one of those directors who happily works you into the ground. But I mean, in the best possible way. He works the guy who just has one crossover in that one scene as hard as he works you in the big scene. Like that's why his productions are so great. That was a phenomenal thing to do. I don't think I've ever worked that hard. Wow. Even the Piaf show, that's a close, close second. But that holy, when I took my bow at the end of that show, I could clearly wholeheartedly say, I have done everything I could possibly do. (laughs) And that's an amazing way to feel. That's a great way to feel. I was very, very proud of that role in that production. It was a beautiful production. Yeah, very proud of that. So you know that I do research and I don't leave any stone unturned. And there was one thing that I couldn't find. And I want you to tell me if you have this, because I remember 2014 company, Sondheim, you... Mm. Brent Carver, there is a song, The Ladies Who Lunch. I've seen it done by everyone, everyone. I will never forget what you did in that performance. I love that production because that's probably one of the most fun closing night parties ever (laughs) in my career. We all went to Judith John's house and (sighs) we were all in the backyard and it was just us then all the extra people kind of left and it ended up being just the cast and we had the most special oh my god that's my closing memory of brent carver we ended up staying there so long that it was too late to stay there any longer and we drifted to this pub on the danforth and ended me and brent carver on Mm. this patio on the danforth singing the man that got away at the top of our lungs to one another. I mean, it was that kind of night that was, I choose to remember him just like that. He was so happy that night. Hmm. It was, I can see those eyes. I can see those blue eyes. Just hypnotic. Fantastic. And it's a great show too. Wow. 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 There's something Louise that you do in every performance, which is that you fully inhabit the role in such a profound way. It's not just becoming the character. It's not just telling the story. And you've said actually that anyone can sing, but musical theater is also about performing and telling that story and deeply connecting. Your advice to aspiring actors is to see a lot of theater. You said something so interesting. And when you see something really, really good and you say, I loved that, figure out what was so great about that that you loved. And when it's awful, figure out what it, that was too and learn from it and do the first one. Mm-hmm. But you have a way of diving in. And I don't know if it's just that you feel things in, in ways that most people don't, like that you can relate to Piaf. You have always been drawn to characters who have suffered and who have angst and passion and, and feeling and depth. 
or is it just the work? Like, what is it that you do? No, I think, my God, it's about caring. It's about caring so much (laughs) that you never have to do it. It's got to be full tilt. Like, it's about abandon, but controlled abandon. Abandon from your heart and your gut. But your brain has to stay on top of it because you're still, you got to hit that mark so that the spotlight hits you at exactly, you can't lose yourself, but you have to know all that stuff well enough that you can allow yourself to just, you, I guess that's what it is. It's, it's heart and caring so much to validate the fact that people are sitting there They've paid money and they are willing to give you two and a half hours of their life. Yes. Well, you better bloody well make it good or that's awful if it's not. You're, you're really something else. I know some of your musical heroes are Edith Piaf, Judy Garland, and Barbara Streisand from the early years, you said. One day someone's going to add your name to that list if they <laughs> haven't already. And is there an up and coming artist that takes your breath away? I got to tell you, Haley Gillis, Hmm. who plays Natasha in this show, I think to me, I look at her and I say that, that's, I, I bow to her. She's so freaking good. I cannot tell you. She impresses the hell out of me. She has a voice that just destroys me and it doesn't sound like singing it's coming from the heart and the so, gut but an amazing actress and the best most positive attitude i am in awe of her and wow. that makes me happy and feel so encouraged for what's to come i'm going to come back to you once saying that streisand is a magician and she makes you feel something it's not only her voice but the connection to the material she's amazing at that and so are you louise so are you that is it there is a song that you sing. You've said it's one of your favorites. Nimikite pa. I cry when you sing anything because I see the desperation and the despair and the authenticity. You're, you are so connected. Your character is begging, pleading, then trying to be cool. Your performance is so masterful. It brought everyone to tears and the applause was almost crazy. I'd like to play it for our audience now, for our listeners. Here is Louise Pete singing. Nimikite Pa. Can you set this up for us briefly? Oh my God. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of, to me, one of the best songs in, in the world. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I like such desperately sad songs because it allows me to go to a place that I know I can come out of at the end of the song. But to go that deep into desperation and it's, I don't know, maybe it's a form of therapy. I don't know. But it, makes me happy. It's almost scary. I feel like I could go down so low when I come out of it, really. But then, yes, the song ends. And then I get back to my happy life with my husband. (laughs) I love that. Without further ado, here is Louise Pitre singing Ne Me Quitte Pas. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. That was so breathtakingly beautiful. I I don't know what it is. I can't stop crying every time I hear you sing. It makes me cry. And you're talking and I'm crying, so I don't know what's happening here. You recorded this as an album called La Vie en Rouge, a French CD that you really made for your mother. And you've said that when you listen to the CD, you feel that it's the real you singing. Yeah. And and I know you've talked about how your mom loved Piaf and how you did this recording live. And what was that like? I feel like that's the recording where I didn't have any producers sitting there playing and adjusting the stuff. I had done like it was live off the floor. So that is, that's me. That's how I sing. When I listen to that CD, I say, yes, that's me. And I, yeah, should have done that before, perhaps more, but 
I'm glad I did that. Yeah. It sounds like me. And that that's good. <laughs> you and Sondheim have a very special relationship because another song that you absolutely triumph in is Send in the Clowns. You just triumph in that song. And again, I hear you sing that song and tears stream down my cheeks. And it's, of course, a Sondheim masterpiece. What do you think it is about you and the late Stephen Sondheim that is so profound? Like what, what do you love about Stephen Sondheim? I don't know. I think maybe Sondheim is musically very different, but a close relative of Brel. He's like the English Brel to yes. his songs Jacques are. Brel. Every song is a three-act play. Yes. Every song is, by the time the song finishes, you feel like you know this person. Mm-hmm. And that's an incredibly special gift. You know, I mean, he was a master of the perfect lyric and the perfect melody to go with that perfect lyric. You know, it's, it's, and, you know, I'm more old school. I admit to you, like gypsy musically is more what I want to sing, yes. uh, even more than Sondheim, perhaps, you know, but, oh my God, but you cannot deny. <laughs> The craft and the yes. what you achieve in one song is more than people do in a whole show. So a lifetime. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. So let's all have a listen. This is a gift, guys, to Louise Pitre singing Send in the Clowns. Isn't it rich? Isn't it Queer Losing my timing This late In my Career But where are the clouds There ought to be clouds Maybe next year. Oh my God, Louise. (laughs) That was so, so beautiful. I almost feel like I'm in church or synagogue when I listen to you. Yeah, I do. Something holy about it. Okay, that's an amazing thing to say. It's true. I always I love to go into the theater when I'm doing a show like even the show I'm doing now to go in early and to just be in the empty theater it all and it does feel like a temple of whatever church temple whatever yeah it is because you know what what Life can come out of this place. What special connection can happen here in this amazing space? It comes to life. Yeah. Yeah. With you, it does. I know Race Against the Clock, so very quickly tell us about your brainchild on the rocks, which had its opening night stream on May 27, 2021, the height of COVID featuring songs by you and your partner, Joe Matheson. And you had done this years before at Theatre Pass Ryan. You yeah. sort of resurrected it, to use the church analogy, and brought it back to life. And people that had never seen it got to mm-hmm. witness it and enjoy it and create it. That was a big undertaking. Theatre Pass Mariah asked me to come for a meeting and they said, we would like to have music in our next season. And if we're going to have music, we want it to be you. And I thought, oh my God, how nice. And so I was going to do maybe a couple concerts in rep or something. And then I thought, well, that's boring because I've done that. I've done those concerts. (sighs) So I said, why don't I write something for myself? (laughs) And that ended up being a year of my life. Just a way Joe had a contract to do a show in Halifax yes. at Neptune Theatre. So I went with him. We brought the dog. He found us this amazing little place on Portuguese Cove right on the ocean. He would work, work, work. I would 
cook and rented a keyboard and I wrote uh, the script and that show and we wrote some songs together. Oh my God. It was, yeah, it was a year of my life, but I did it. It was a mountain to climb. And I thought, oh, am I crazy having said I would do this? But yeah, I did it. (laughs) And Joe, Diane, Leah, my accompanist, and I, the three of us have written songs together. And during the pandemic, we have written a musical, a family musical for children. So we're very (sighs) proud of that. That's now the work to try and get that done. Yeah. What is that called? Are we allowed to say or? It's called Jethro, the runaway puppy. (laughs) So briefly, can you tell us a little bit more about your current production, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 by Dave Malloy? What drew you to the project? And can you tell us more about your role, Maria, in this piece? Yeah, it's, it's a wacky show. I mean, it's basically a techno musical theater opera. It's very hard to describe. It is basically Dave Malloy took 70 pages out of Tolstoy's War and Peace and made a musical out of it. It's crazy. It's extremely physical. There are 13 of us in the cast. Some play a bunch of instruments. There's a seven piece band as well. It is the biggest production Crows has ever done. So they are co-producing this with musical stage company. Chris Abraham directed, and I think he's done an amazing job. It's a very strong cast. Maria is the old school. She's the godmother to Natasha has a couple really nice sections. Otherwise, we're all part of the ensemble. Mm. We run up and down stairs a (laughs) million times a show and sing a whole lot. (laughs) It's fun. It runs the gamut. It's really great. And I won't even be finished the run of this when I go into rehearsal at Canadian Stage for a play called The Inheritance. So, which is an amazing piece. I'm thrilled they've offered me this part. It's 12 men and one woman. It is a wonderful play in two parts, and I am thrilled. Is there a goal or a project you're still dying to sink your teeth into? Do you know what? At this point, my dream, my dream is to go out for dinner with Joe and Diane, have really nice wine and really nice food, (laughs) and then go into a theater and sit with the audience and watch Jethro a show that we wrote. Oh, that's my dream. What is bliss for Louise Pitre? What is bliss? Having yet another glass of wine with the best person in the world, who is my husband, Joe, and laughing crazily (laughs) at yet some other thing we come up with because I can only talk like that with him. That's this. This has been a real honor. I thank you very much for this time. Thank you. Thank Thank you you for all the insane research and knowledge you already had of me. You blew me away. Thank you very much. Thank you, Louise. To get tickets for Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, all you have to do is go to crowstheater.com. That's C-R-O-W-S theater.com and look under what's on. Each week, we spotlight someone unbelievable like Louise Pietre on this program. So if you are an author, artist, singer, mindfulness expert, or anyone really who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. And of course, you can always reach out to us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Louise Pietre, for being on the show today. Also, thanks to Mag Ruffman, Siobhan Kylie, Olivia Weatherall, Juliana Yanitsiello, Lauren Kaminsky, Sierra Brown-Rodriguez, Baz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.